John chapter 9. Uh, this is a good chapter in the fact that it's all one event. And so it, it reads like a story, uh, but it is a historical event. And it answers a lot of questions that um, still charlatans will will teach differently. And I say that because anybody who teaches differently than this, there, there has to be a motivation to teach differently. And in, in almost every case, if not 100% charlatans uh, for the love of money. And so Jesus passed by and saw a man who was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Um, the most important thing about verse 2 is, is we've seen through the book of John, the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to Jesus under false pretenses to try to trip him up, to ask him questions that are either uh, meant to make him look bad, meant to create a, a no-win situation for him. And in this case, that's not what's happening. Who's asking the question in verse 2? It's his disciples. And they see this man who is blind, and they ask the question, who has sinned this man or his parents? Why would they ask that question? What a, what a terrible question to ask, isn't it? So why would they ask it? The only reason is that this had to be the cultural acceptance of, of any infirmity, blindness, deafness, palsy, whatever it might be, that, that infirmity equaled sin. Uh, Karen shared tonight with the kids the story of Amy Carmichael. Now, she didn't have an infirmity, but she certainly felt like she did in the color of her eyes. Um, but we can look at people, uh, the, probably one of the better examples that we have are is Johnny Erickson Tata, who really took her, uh, uh, she was uh, paralyzed, a woman of God, and she um, discusses the challenges of people saying to her, if you had more faith, you could walk again. And her answer was, if God wanted me to walk again, I would walk again. But if God wants to use my infirmity for his glory, then that's what I'll do. Who am I to challenge it? And others who have looked at their infirmities, I remember when um, when uh, Bill Martin uh, got his brain tumor, um, you'd be surprised how many came to him and either accuse it of happening because of sin or challenging his faith that if he had more faith, God would heal him. And his response is always, I have the faith enough to know that God has a purpose in this. And if he desires to heal me, he'll heal me. And if he wants to take me home, I'm ready to go. To me, that's more faith than anything. He never complained about it, never questioned God. 
accepted it as part of his testimony. And so for anyone to come to anyone, anyone, and even for a moment hint that an inf- a, a, a birth defect is the cause of sin or caused by sin or that your infirmity would be gone if you had more faith. If you talk to Marlena, I remember when Kendall was alive, we had this discussion a lot. He used to go to, to blind camps. They would go to blind camps every summer. He would work at these camps. And uh, they were Christian camps. And it was such, he said it's such a common thing that not only are we dealing with our, our blindness, but constantly being questioned by our brothers and sisters in Christ that if we had more faith, we would not be blind. And I remember I, I was listening to a man speak on this, and it was interesting as he was talking about that if, if you had faith, God would remove your infirmities, that God would heal you of your blindness and heal you and, and just give, and God would heal. And as he's speaking, he takes his glasses off and says, You just trust in the Lord. And he will heal you of your blindness and your deafness. And he puts his glasses back on and starts reading. Well, what a hypocrite. God can't even heal his nearsightedness. So this is a common thing. And Jesus' answer was simple. Neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. So all of our things that come into life, our lives as Christians, uh, are are used for God's glory. There's a purpose in it. We're still talking about, We're still talking about them. 2,000 years later, this man's blindness is still teaching us. It's exactly right. We're a great point. So he says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so let's talk about that statement, that Jesus is the light of the world. Because he's used it before. He used it when, remember he wrote in the sand? And he said, I'm the light of the world. And now the light of the world is in this aspect. What is the darkness that his disciples are currently living under in this chapter? They believe that infirmities are always caused by sin. Then if you're born blind, and this is, remember this, this, this child was, this, this man was born blind. And yet in their thought process, it is possible that this man was blind because of sin. So what did he do something in the womb? Did he kick too hard? I mean, what, when did he have time to sin in order to cause the blindness? So they were walking in total darkness of the truth. And Jesus is about to shed some light for them on what the truth is about infirmities. And the truth is, they are, can be used for God's glory. Absolutely. There's a purpose in them. Um, when he said these things, he spit on the ground, made clay with saliva, anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. He said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. So he went, washed, and came back seeing. So he goes and he washes. And and this is kind of where, you know that term where your hair's mud in your eye, that kind of thing. Well, Jesus, 
By the way, can't Jesus just say, be healed? So what was the whole purpose of the spitting and the mud and the clay? And it was simply the outward showing of his power so the world would have no doubt who did this. And so he puts mud on his eyes, he washes it off, and now he can see. Go ahead. It certainly is, and 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 yet, when we get to the point of what's he got to lose, you know, he, I don't. He couldn't have seen Jesus doing this, obviously, and um, but we're going to find out that he's not really aware who Jesus is. This isn't somebody he went to to be healed. Is not somebody he sought out. He wasn't like the woman that went just to touch his robe. He wasn't the man who said, oh, just say the word. It, this was just a blind man, random. And he was pointed out by the disciples. By the way, before the foundations of the earth, Jesus and this blind man had an appointment for this very moment, this very hour that he walked into that and walked by there. And the disciples did not ask that question out of randomness. It was led by God to ask that question. They didn't even know it. And so, yeah, it certainly did. He could have certainly said, no, stop, don't touch me, leave me alone. Who are you? I'm not going to do this. But he did. He went because he had to go to the pool. He could have just said, no, I'm, I'm, and he went. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this who sat and begged. Some says this is. Others said he's like him. He said, I am he. So it's interesting that they had a discussion about whether it was him or not. Why? Well, he was changed, wasn't he? He could see. And I know that we, um, if you've ever seen someone who's blind, and may, most of the time they'll wear dark glasses, but you can see the infirmity in their eyes. And so that, that infirmity went away. And they say, well, he looks like him. I'm, I'm sure it's him. No, it can't be him. He's been blind. I just saw him yesterday. And he has to say what? I'm he. The, I, I think... Anybody who knew me before I was a Christian and saw me now would be, boy, I did. you've changed. You're so different than you were in high school. You were so dark in high school. You were so this in high school. You were so angry in high school. And, and they would hopefully see a change, hopefully see a difference. You, you look like John Flanagan, but you certainly don't act like John Flanagan. And I don't know how it's going to work in heaven. I, I really don't. I do know that we'll, we'll regain some of our, who we are, but I don't know how we'll recognize, that's gonna be a miracle, cause we're gonna be so changed and different in heaven with new bodies and, and no sin and, and, but we'll somehow know. Um, therefore they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me go to the pool of Siloam and wash so I went 
and washed and I received sight. So here's what we're going to, to really look at with this man. We are going to see the, the progress of a person coming to salvation. And so what happens is, remember God said that he quickened those who were dead in their trespasses and sin. And no one comes to the Father, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. So Jesus approaches this blind man. And he opens his eyes physically, but he's in that, that happened in an instant. But the spiritual eyes opened is a process. And so in verse 11, how does he address Jesus? A man called Jesus. So his opinion of Jesus right now is what? He's just a man. And I don't really think he cares more than that. He can see, and I think that's all that matters, isn't it? He's been blind his entire life. He wouldn't care if it was a gerbil that came up to him or a dog or anybody. doesn't matter. I can see. That's, that, that is praise. And so they simply ask him, his story is his story. Your testimony is your testimony. What happened? How do you see? This man named Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, and said to me, Go and wash it off. I washed it all, and now I can see. Then they said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. So apparently, while he went and washed his eyes off, Jesus left. And he came back. By the way, I don't know that he would recognize him. If Jesus wasn't there when he came back, he may never have seen him knows him by name and knows him as a man so they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees why why would they bring him to the Pharisees but they do and the reason they do is because of verse 14 it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes alright so these always are little tattletales kind of little smarmy guys trying to get in good with the Pharisees and they bring him and they say hey guess what Jesus did tell him he healed this guy because they know who he is or they wouldn't bring him to the Pharisees and they bring this blind man who now can see does he want to go there not necessarily maybe they think he's taking him there to show off then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put clay in my eyes and I wash and I see. What else do you need, right? That's all he knows. There's no other story. There's nothing to make up. How did you... Well, he put clay in my eyes. I opened them. I washed them off and now I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said... How can a man who was a sinner do such signs? And there was much division among them. This is no different than today. There's divisions about Christ. Uh, argued mostly by people who don't study the word enough to know what the answers are. So they're just speaking of things they've heard or read in books. And I've been in conversations before. And it's really interesting it, with with. Pastors who are, are, are pretty solid, and yet when, when we're talking, 
Much of the discussion comes from, well, in Rehnquist's book, he writes, well, yeah, have you read Charles's book on this subject? Oh, no. Yeah, well, what about Roberts? He writes this. And they go around and talk about men's books about the subject. That's not how you tackle these issues. You tackle the issues by going to Scripture. You've got to go to the Word. And what does God have to say? And so they're having these discussions, and it is a quandary for them. Hi, Susie. We're in John chapter 9. Um, so they're having this argument, and they turn to the blind man. What do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. He said, what? He is a prophet. Is that what Jesus is? He's much more than a prophet. But it's better than a man, do you see? So his information now is coming from listening to this argument. They bring him in. He's a man. What do you do? How'd you get? Oh, he washed my eyes and I put clay in my eyes. I washed it off. And now I see. Well, see, he can't be from God. He, he violated the Sabbath. I know, but if he's not from God, how's he healing a blind man? We all know this guy's been blind. How would they go back and forth and argue and they look at the guy? What do you think, blind guy? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he's a prophet. It's probably a prophet. But the Jews did not believe, verse 18, concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight. So now they come up with another theory. And this is really interesting. I, I had d done some um, reading and studying about different theories of the resurrection, which is really interesting because many historians who have gone in history to try to prove that the resurrection never occurred and the crucifixion never occurred, what they find is that they cannot, it cannot be denied because of the historical evidence that there was a man named Jesus. He was crucified on a cross. He was buried in a tomb and the tomb did disappear. That's all throughout history. It's in the writing of Josephus and others. And so now what they have done is they have come up with these different theories of what truly happened. One is a theory that he wasn't completely dead and that when he was taken to the tomb that he was they, they took him down too soon and he was able to get up and leave. The other most common theory is that Mary and Martha went to the wrong tomb. They didn't really know where he was. Well, in Scripture, they follow. But in here, they went to anoint him, and they just got lost, went to the wrong tomb. And he's actually in another tomb. Um, the other is the wild animal theory, in which a wild animal got into the tomb and dragged the body out. And so, so what happens with mankind is they, they'll come up with outlandish things in order to eliminate the truth. Including things like, oh, we came from monkeys. Or that everything exploded and everything fell into exact order. 
time and days and years and the sun and gravity and water cycle, all that just happened to fall into place accidentally. And the world says, okay, we'll take it, whatever it is. So now, what is their new theory? It's a silly theory. Well, maybe he was never blind at all. And this is all a big scam. Somebody go get their parents. So this is a really sad thing. So they said, in verse 18, they called the parents of him who had received his sight. Now, here's the sad part. The parents are alive. Which means this blind man who begs in the street every day has been left to beg in the streets by his very own parents. Why would they do that? Go back to verse 2. What was the original question? Who sinned, this man or his parents? So if the common belief was that a blind child is either the result of the sin of the child or the result of the sin of the parents, it would then motivate parents to separate themselves from that child. It's a horrendous theory and teaching because a parent would not want to be associated with the sin. So they say, well, it was my child. Therefore, go live on the streets. We won't take care of you. So they bring the parents. Verse 19, they ask them saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son. We know that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we don't know. Or who opened his eyes? We don't know. He's of age. Ask him. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. So here you are with a son that has been blind all of his life that you have basically abandoned. And now you walk into this place, you're called by the Pharisees and you better go if the Pharisees call you. And there's your son who now can see. What would normal parents do? Oh, they would rejoice. They would rejoice. Maybe beg for forgiveness. Because if blindness represents sin, then what does being healed of your blindness represent? Nobody really knows because it's never happened before. There's no cultural teaching of that. Uh, But the parents were not afraid at this point to be associated with their son they were afraid to be associated with Christ. To be associated with... If they say, Jesus healed our son, then the Pharisees would turn against them. Do you see? Um, Fear of what the world or your family will say is one of the major hindrances to people coming to church, going to Christ, giving their lives to God. I don't know. I'm going to say there's been at least a a half a dozen to a dozen people over the years who have come to this church, dedicated themselves to Christ, only to go home and get so much pressure from their families 
that they never came back. And it happens most often when someone from a Catholic family decides that this is the church they want to go to. And when their family finds out that they've left for a Protestant church, it's very difficult for them. And they just tend not to come back. Um, we've had people say, well, my grandmother said if I continue to come, she won't ever talk to me again. So I can't, I can't do that to them. I can't break my grandmother's heart. It's really hard. It's a lot of pressure. And so if you look at that verse, 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him, hey, we don't want anything to do with our, this, this, this guy. All right? Yeah, he was blind. I don't know how he got healed. We don't have anything to do with it. He's an adult. Solve his own problems. Terrible parenting. Reminds me a little bit of us. We are often abandoned by our physical parents or physical family. But we have a Heavenly Father. And this is one of the um, real attractions that I had to God was in the conditional type of atmosphere I grew up in. Um, to have a, a Heavenly Father that would love me unconditionally, no matter what I did, He'd just keep loving me. I've been a Christian for 40 years. I've been a pastor for almost 30. Still, I, 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 that's a struggle for me. That, are you sure you still love me now? Okay, what about now? Look what I did now. And he still does. And, and I have to adjust myself to that. It's an amazing thing. But it's what really was the kind of most attractive thing to me as, as a as a person looking for purpose and hope and joy and love and all those things that I have a God that will never leave me nor forsake me. And he says, come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And, and this man did not experience any of this. Can you think of the kind of life he had? Everybody thought it was his fault. The parents said, well, it wasn't our fault. We didn't do anything wrong. He's on his own. But there was one who didn't forsake him. Who was that? Jesus Christ. And and again, he said, verse 3, Neither this man or his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I got a plan for this guy. And like Carol said, 2,000 years later, we're still talking about him. And he's been walking and talking and worshiping with Christ for 2,000 years. We'll meet him someday. Verse 24, so they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know this man is a sinner. Well, that's a mess. What kind of a messy statement is that? Stop giving Jesus the glory and give God the glory. Well, there are thousands if not millions of people around the world who are believing they're giving God the glory but because Jesus Christ is not included in it they are not giving God the glory and it's it's a confusing mess it's one of the saddest things to me that a person would dedicate their entire life to religion 
without having salvation, without having Christ. And by the way, most of those religions that don't include Christ, they are conditional religions. They are works-based. Do you remember the prophets of Baal when they were trying to call down fire from heaven from their false god? Do you remember what they did in order to get his attention? They started cutting themselves and slashing themselves because self-sacrifice and, and, and self-punishment is the only way to appease the God or those false gods in which the only way to appease them was to sacrifice your own children as if that or the only way to appease a God is to take an airplane and fly it into a tower and kill thousands of innocent people so that you can appease your God Boy, none of those gods even make any sense. They make no sense till you get to Christ and a God of our Creator who obviously if He made us, He's going to love us. And God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. And so they look at Him and they ask Him an impossible question. Give God the glory. Quit giving it to Jesus. Do you think He really cares who gets the glory? He just sees. I'm just happy to see. He answered and said, Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, though I was blind, now I see. I don't care about this religious stuff. I don't even want to talk about it. All I care is I was blind, now I see. I don't even care that my parents are out. That's fine. Uh, They didn't like me when I was blind. I don't need them now when I can see. I don't care. This is a little bit very similar to when we both, or when we all first came to Christ. Like I said this morning, I wasn't sure what was happening. I just knew that that things changed. And one minute I didn't believe in God, and the next second I knew He was real. And not until, I'm telling you, not until... I sat across the table from a kindergartner while they quoted their verses from their Sparky book that I begin to understand the theology behind my salvation. And it is why we have been uh, committed to Awana ever since. It was the thing that, that gave me knowledge. And so this man is at the place where he doesn't know anything. So they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, verse 27, I told you already. You don't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? (laughs) Is he getting frustrated? And so he throws it back kind of in their face. He says, man, you guys are obsessed with this guy. I already told you. He's a man, maybe he's a prophet, put mud on my eyes, I wash it off, now I see, I don't know where he went, I don't know who he is. I can't answer your questions. Why are you so obsessed? Do you want to be his disciples also? Is that what you want? I don't think he thought that. I think he's just saying, man, it's kind of like uh, when you were little and, and you're with your buddy and maybe you're in junior higher and he says, Oh, Sally. Look at Sally over there. Sally thinks she's so much better than everybody. Oh, Sally. Look at just because she's wearing that dress. Just Sally. She thinks she's so pretty because she's wearing that bow in her hair. And then your friends say what? 
man, why you kept talking about Sally? Do you like her? No, I don't like her. Well, you sure talk about her a lot. And it's like, you keep talking about this Jesus. What do you want to do? Be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple. We are Moses' disciple. (laughs) Meaning what? By the way, Moses represents the what? The law. If and, and the Bible teaches very, very, very uh, specifically that if you don't come under the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you will be subject to the rules of the laws of Moses. And the rules of the laws of Moses are very simple. If you're guilty of one law, you're guilty of them all. And the wages of sin is death. And so the law produces nothing but death in mankind. But grace is so much greater than the law. So again, these Pharisees don't even know what they're saying. They're saying follow God and not Jesus, which makes no sense. And now they say, we want to be under Moses. We want to be his disciples. Well, if you're followers of Moses, you will certainly die spiritually. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't know where he's from. The man answered and said to them, this is such a good verse, verse 30. Why, this is a marvelous thing that you don't know where he's from. And he opened my eyes. He's not a religious fellow. And he can't understand what their problem is. As we know Moses, we don't even know where this guy's from. And he starts to think and he says, well, that's a pretty marvelous thing, isn't it? You don't even know where he's from and yet he's able to heal the eyes of the blind? Now we know, verse 31, that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it's been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. Verse 33. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And he says to them, you guys are making really good points. He has to be from God. He's gone from a man to a prophet to what? I'm starting to see this clearly. You're right. It, it is marvelous that you don't know where he's from. And yet he opened my eyes. And who's ever heard of a person opening the eyes of the blind before? He's got to be from God. You're right. He must be from God. If he weren't from God, he could do nothing. They answered him and said, verse 34, you were completely born in sins and you're teaching us. And they threw him out. (laughs) Well, he didn't want to be there in the first place. He didn't want to talk to these guys. And they brought him in. If they would have left him alone, he would have made no impact. But by listening to them argue back and forth, and this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. And this is what really, you know, we talked about what changes in your life. And one of the major changes in me, in my life, was things that I thought were truth. All of a sudden seemed foolish 
And everything made sense about who created me, my purpose on earth, what happens after you die, uh, how we got here, uh, what our purpose is, and everything else. And now when you hear something that I used to agree with and I think, man, how could I ever have fallen for that? How could I ever have thought that to be true? And so this man has not only been healed by Jesus, but he has given him a little bit of of spiritual sense to listen to these arguments and go, you know what? The only logical thing is that this man was from God himself. And they said, hey, you're born in sin and you're teaching us. And they kicked him out. This is like some freshman at Stanford University sitting in his philosophy class and telling his teacher of 20 years and a professor with PhDs that, oh no, you're wrong. There is a God and he is the only way to heaven. And he would throw him out of class. But you make a really good point. How do you leave them out of science and history? You can't. And you're leaving the whole author of it all out. And so what does the world do? They replace it with these ridiculous arguments. Hasn't changed much, has it? So they cast them out. And... That's always interesting to me because it's not like he went there voluntarily. He's like, bring him here, bring him here. Who did this? Who healed you? Uh, some man, Jesus, he put on one of my eyes, washed it off. Well, we don't even think you were blind. I thought you weren't even blind. Go get his parents. Bring him in here. This here kid? Yes. Are you blind? Yes, but we don't want nothing to do with him. All right? He's danced for himself. He's an adult. All right, so tell us again. I told you already. Then all of a sudden he goes, you know what? I think you're onto something. They say, what? You can't teach us. Get out of here. <laughs> I didn't want to come here in the first place. One of my favorite, it's just a fun walk through a person's process of seeing Christ. Because Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Verse 35, he found him. Amen. He did what? He found him. I just believe that. I don't know why, but Jesus found me. He said to him, do you believe in the Son of God. He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? See the process? It's interesting that he calls him Lord in that verse, and, and, and it is a capital L. Um, but he believes, and he says, Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Man, prophet, from God, to what? Lord. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be. So now his eyes are completely opened. Completely opened. 
And what's interesting is, and this is kind of a, this just kind of came to me. I I do have a little bit of a of a maybe an over um, attention to certain false teachings that are going on, only because it's affecting a lot of the students in the school. So it is something that is a little bit uh, worrisome to me in in the sense of protection. Um, but when God this person is in the midst of the Pharisees who are trying to convince him that Jesus Christ is not from God when he didn't believe it in the first place, right? And all they did was convince him that he was. So what does that tell you about the power of God to reveal to us who he is through the Holy Spirit? You see God doing that work? And so... I was talking to somebody yesterday. I was at the men's breakfast, and uh, it's a man named Tony Simeon. Tony's, Tony's preached here before, and he he gave me a part of his life that I never knew before. And I was sharing a little bit about uh, some of the things going on in the family right now that are kind of hurting me a little bit. And so, when he turned eighteen, um, he turned eighteen on a Saturday. On the Sunday after he turned eighteen, his mother came to him and said. Uh, Tony, get up, we're going to church. And he says, I'm not going. And she said, what do you mean you're not going? We always go to church. And he said, I'm 18. I'm an adult. I don't believe in God. I never really have. And I can make my own decisions. And I'm not going. And she said, fine. Uh, by the end of the day, find a place to move. Because you're not living in my house if you're not going to church. He left. Found a place to stay. Moved in with some friends. For 20 years, had a couple of broken marriages, didn't really talk to his mom, and his mother prayed for him every day. She said, he said, John, she prayed for him every day. At 38, he gave his life to Christ, and now he's an associate pastor at First Baptist Church at the age of, I think he's just turned 50. Um, so he was just saying, you know, the, just pray every day. You just don't know what God's going to do. And it was a really encouraging kind of a testimony of, of it's all God isn't it it's all God we just got to preach the word and share and the Lord came to him and opened his eyes and he went from uh, a to in total darkness to ending up seeing Christ as Lord even in the midst of the, the greatest false teachers maybe this history has ever known and yet he found Jesus in the midst of them and People can be sitting, and we think sometimes, oh, if they don't go to this public school, don't go to the public college, don't go there, oh, you're going to lose your... We see all the statistics of the people that go. and and But sometimes you can find Christ in the idiocy of the teachings. If we've grounded our children right in the Word, and my kids, they got the Word. They do. And so, verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I've come into the world... That those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. So what does he mean by that? When Jesus comes and gives the truth, and the Pharisees continue with their teachings that they are of Moses, they don't need Jesus, or that they follow God and they're not going to follow Jesus. Remember he said to them, give glory to God, not to Jesus. Well, are, do they see or do they not see? 
They're blind to the truth. And yet they would proclaim themselves to be the light. And so they're the ones who, even though they say they see, they're made blind by the truth. And yet, this man who was physically blind was in the midst of these Pharisees and his eyes were opened that Jesus is from God. While these men who were trying to teach him remained blinded. Then some of the Pharisees who were there heard him and heard these words and said, Are we blind also? <laughs> are you talking about us? You're talking about us, aren't you? Are we the ones who are blind? And Jesus says, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. That is so powerful. I am saved because I came to the realization that I was completely blind. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the poor in spirit. When you come to that, that absolute conviction and humility that you had it all wrong, Jesus, I give my life to you. Once you realize you're blind, but if you think you got it, and by the way, there are plenty of Methodists, Baptists, Lutherans, Catholics, Protestants who think they've got it, and they don't. Many will say, Lord, Lord. It's only when you, you surrender yourself humbly. What does God say? What does he want to sacrifice? He wants a broken and contrite heart. I am a sinner. I need you to save me. And we have to be careful that we do not feel as if God has saved us because we deserved it. You're blind still, if that's what you think. Make sense? Heavenly Father, uh, what a chapter. One of, one of the uh, tremendous lessons we could ever learn. I thank you for the insight uh, to be able to read this. I thank you for this man who 2,000 years later has influenced millions of people over time uh, to see you in such an amazing way. Uh, thank you, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would continue to open our eyes to the truth every day in Jesus' name. Amen.